Hello and welcome back to the Urban Kingdom Podcast. Today this episode is going to be hosted by someone other than me. This is Keyshawn here. Um, hosted by the chairman of the Urban Educators Collective, Conrad Schenk. And he'll be interviewing me about kids clubs. In this episode, I share in this first part a bit of my background, my story on how I came to kids clubs. Not my life story, that'll be shared in a different episode later down the road. But just a, um, a bit of a survey of how I came to know kids clubs and what my thoughts are on them, a few tips, and then in two weeks, um, two weeks from today, um, we will be posting the second part in which I give some very practical, um, several very practical ways in which someone evaluating their kids clubs, whether they want to be a part of one anymore, whether they're looking back, can evaluate that with some perspective that they may not have had before. Please enjoy the episode and thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the Urban Kingdom Podcast. Keyshawn and I are talking about kids' clubs. Um, he's going to be sharing his story and just yeah, his understanding of kids' clubs and what they mean to us today, what they can mean to us in the future. And I'm excited to get into it with him. It's something Keyshawn and I have discussed previously. And so, yeah, we know a little bit where each other's coming from, but I'm, I'm interested to hear more of the story and to you know, learn from you, Keyshawn, and ways I can move forward here in our church, in our town. So, yep, looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice not to be on the host side today. Um, for those listening, I am usually the one interviewing people, but today I'm in the hot seat. Yeah, grateful to be talking about kids' clubs. Yeah, going to keep it short and sweet to the point, hopefully, but... um. You know me, I, I get going, so we'll see. So, Keyshawn, tell us about your kids' club experience. How did you um, experience our Mennonite kids' clubs first? Tell us some stories. Um, help us understand your perspective. Yeah, so <laughs> the interesting thing about kids' clubs is uh, there's a handful of us that are um, adults grown up, and, you know, Qua's been one of them. Manny was on the first episode. Myself, there's a few others like us. Um, we came in through kids clubs, and we all have very strong, controversial, and sometimes um, it hurts feelings when we start talking about it. Because some people invest a lot of energy and sacrifice a lot to be able to do them. And so just from the jump, I want people to know this is not an indictment or a um, putting kids clubs on trial. The whole idea behind me sharing on this, why people will share on it in the future in the podcast, is to make sure that people, when they want to do something more or they want to know what, you know, what's the impact of what they're doing, people like me who have come through it and also led in it can share that, um, that perspective. So the way that I came across Kids Clubs is I was in my living room on Duke Street and I was playing probably some kind of video game. Um, we didn't really have cable most of the time. I was lucky to have my PlayStation if I did have it. Um, my mom was often pawning off our stuff. Um, I grew up in a house of addiction. And a man named Jonathan knocked on our door, this tall, lanky man. He's wearing a stereotypical you know, Mennonite shirt and dress pants in the hood for whatever reason, which is really strange. In our neighborhood, white people weren't around very often. My mom was a white woman, but... Um, she was the only one really in our neighborhood for the most part. And I didn't even know this at the time, but Jonathan was moving into the area soon. And that's why he was knocking on my door. 
he was inviting me to um, vacation Bible school, which is different than kids clubs. But typically, if you have a kids club, you have a, you have a vacation Bible school too. And he was inviting me and, and I just was, had no interest. Um, my full life story, which I'll share sometime on the pod, um, un- unpacks why it was that I was so disinterested in churches. But I actually tried to slam the door in his face. And my dad, knowing that, you know, this could be a cop, this could be someone that shut off our cable and we can't just shut the door in their face, he goes and talks to him. And then I'm on my way to church, to kids club. My experience with kids clubs um, was started out really rough. My intention was to get kicked out. My intention was to get um, suspended or expelled. I did not want to be there. I was kind of taking matters into my own hands to try to get away from these people. They were strange to me. Um... They drove weird cars. They looked weird. They talked weird. They, they were not like me in any way, shape, or form. And so noticing that, I wanted out as, as fast as possible. Some of the methods that I took to get out, um, my first night, I went into the middle of the room and started cussing every cuss word I could think of. Um, that worked somewhat. But then Jonathan, for whatever reason, had an interest in me, and he told me told that group leader to go sit me back down. And I'm like, that's not right. I did everything right or wrong, however you look, whatever, whatever you look at it, you know, to get out of this environment. And they weren't letting me leave. So I, that really, really made me um, on edge. So I, what ended up happening, I did, I did get suspended several times in that week. Um, I was taken along to the reward picnic um, against the rules, to be honest. I mean, I didn't deserve it. But it left an impression on me by the end. That, you know what, these people aren't so bad after all. But the issue was that none of them were from my city, most of them anyway. Um, even if they were from my city, I didn't know which ones were. And that was it. We were going home on the bus. I went back into my, um, you know, ter- terrible home environment. And they were gone. And that's that's all I knew. And a couple weeks later, they picked me up for the weekly program. And that continues for a couple years before I ever meet someone that actually sits down with me and talks to me about Jesus personally. They come, they come to me after two weeks and they invite me to the weekly program. And that stays that way for about a year or two before anybody really sits down with me personally and talks to me about Jesus. And I'll get into that in a little bit. In those two years, I shifted from getting kicked out for um, bad behavior, whether that was, you know, me being, rambunctious because I didn't want to be there or because I wanted to be there, but I wanted the attention, whatever it was to protecting my teachers, protecting my environment, because this was my space. Um, everywhere I went at that age was my room. It was my space and it was my stage. And they allowed me to do that. They laughed at me. They laughed at my jokes. They kept me afterwards because my ride home, because I lived in the worst neighborhood and nobody else in my neighborhood came to this program. They were actually going beyond their boundaries to have me come. That's how much they wanted me to be there. So I stayed during, for staff prayer afterwards and ate candy and watched them be strange teachers after all the kids were gone. And so that happened for a while. But again, most of these people didn't live in York, especially the ones that were reaching out to me. It almost seemed like they were more likely to pay attention to me or to pursue me and have more energy to do so if they were from outside of York, if they were from Lancaster or something like that. 
And so that, again, that continues for a while. I start to meet more local people, people who are from York. I start to, um, yeah, hear about the church and hear about the school and get jealous about all the things that are happening in York that I'm not a part of. And then Austin, my brother, um, comes up and meets me and he invites me to his house. Now, I am eventually adopted by the family um, and move in with them. Um, this is years later, of course, that this happens. I moved in when I was 16. So I still lived, you know, a, a number of years before that happened. But that's when I first met the Shank family. Austin had me in and invited me into his home. And that didn't put an end to my kids club experience. Eventually, Austin, who was the director of the kids club, which we called it Bible school. So if I, if I change it interchangeably, they're the same thing. Director of Bible school, he um, starts involving me. He puts me in positions of um, not quite leadership right away, but involvement. So the first thing I ever did was I did Bible memory, which was always really, really boring. But I actually did a better job at helping people my age learn the Bible than our teachers did because they actually, they're interested in it. I found ways to accomplish it that they had never tried. I knew how difficult it was for me to learn a book that I wasn't interested in, that I wasn't. And so I made it interesting. And that was fun. It was fun to hear both from peers and from teachers that I did a good job. Eventually, I was the bouncer at the back door. And so kids who were suspended the night before, um, I was a big boy. And so I would not let them get in the door. And just, yeah, to keep it short, I, I would get involved in ways that was more than just sit down in the, in the chair, boy, and listen. You know, it was, you can get involved in this. You know, I again, my personality lended itself towards this is my space as much as it's yours, even though you're the authority, which caused problems sometimes, right? But it was just me showing potential of a leader, and they were allowing me to do that. And that's part of, yeah, that's so rare in kids clubs. It's, it's very rare that people people indigenous to the place of the ministry is happening join the ministry, even if they're Christians. Um, they're typically either they're not invited or it ends badly or it feels like a threat to the people who are there. It ruins their party atmosphere. And that's what a lot of kids clubs are. They're like parties, especially after all the kids are out. And again, I got to see all of that. I got to see the fun and get involved in it. Eventually, around the age of 14 or 15, I became a teacher. I was teaching kids probably a year or two behind me in a preteen class and um, can't vouch for my lessons, but I would use stories from my life that they could relate to, to talk about Jesus. By this point, I was a baptized Christian and eventually I directed the program for a year or two. Um, I got more involved in the VBS program than I did the kids club, the uh, weekly program. And yeah, that's my, my survey of my involvement with kids clubs. I think if I'm going to you know, speak on the positive side, of kids clubs, the one thing that I could point out, and it's not the only positive, but it's the, it's the lasting positive memory of kids club is that it helped become a healthy distraction from the abuses of my home. I would go home to the terrorists that you read about, you know, in, in these, in these books and see the news every day, you know, it was my life. It was regular for me for a while. Kids club was actually a detriment because it showed me that there were people who lived their lives without those terrors. Um, it's called abuse loneliness. You think that th this is just how life is until you meet people who are living well. And you're like, you know what? It's not normal that I get yelled at like that every day. It's not normal that I get hit like this. It's not normal that we live in a dirty, almost condemned home. You know, this is not normal. But then eventually that turned into appreciation for the time that I could spend 
even though the snacks were terrible, even though, you know, the people were strange, they didn't understand me. We didn't speak the same languages. Um, it meant a lot to me eventually to, for them to invest in that way. Um, and so that would be the one positive I'd point out from my experience. So that's lasted that I look back and say, you know what, this is, this is lasting. This has been very meaningful to me. Yeah. So one of the things I thought about is you're telling the story there, you know, if, if I have the kid that's you, I, over, over time, my attitude has changed. I think I'd have used to let more of that sort of behavior go on. And obviously I'm not the person that saw you, but I tend to need respect from you. Um, and I need to, yeah, I need you to respect my rules if you want to be in my space kind of idea. It's kind of my mm-hmm. attitude. So if, if you come in and you're disrespectful, um, that kind of thing, well, Hey, you need to go home. And then I, I let you in the next night unless it was really bad. And I said, I wouldn't, but, um, I do want, I do want you back typically, but not when you're like this. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's interesting that they stuck with you. And I don't know, do you have a perspective on, did they just really need more kids in kids club? Cause sometimes that's the metric that we, that we care about, you know, that, how many kids or what was it that had them coming back? Did they see something in you? Cause I mean, I do see something in some kids and, Sometimes yeah. it's just, I don't want them to be at home. I'd rather them be here being just a mess than be at home. Cause I kind of get a sense of what home's like. Yeah. But do you have any thought on that? You should know by now, if you listen to a few episodes that we are a collective of schools that runs this podcast and the school in our collective that we're highlighting today is Grace Christian Academy in Detroit, Michigan. Their vision is to empower young people for the future by providing a quality education and equipping them to impact eternity. They are currently fundraising to add on to their building for more staff housing and more classrooms. Find out more about Grace Christian Academy at GCADetroit.com. GCADetroit.com. So, so to be clear, I do not believe in predestination. Okay, I do not believe that God predestines. I believe that Jesus died for everybody. It's up to us to take it, and we all can. Um, now. I do believe, though, that from before I was born, God had been um, forming and thinking and hoping for my life, that I would follow him and how he would use things that I was going to go through for his kingdom. Now, I also believe that at any point in my life, things happened to me that altered my course. Not that, not the course that maybe he saw. I'm not getting into a theological argument about whether or not he sees ahead or he doesn't, right? Does it, I don't need yep. to. That's not, that's not what this is about. What this is about is I believe that God wanted me my whole life. Right. So I believe that when it was by no mistake that I met Jonathan that night, it was by no mistake that it was specifically Jonathan and it was specifically someone who may have grace on me and may see something special in me and allow me to stay, you know, without kicking me out, even though he should have. That does not mean that kids clubs should not kick out kids. That does not mean that I believe in um, loose structures. I'm quite the opposite. I I can't tell the story because these young men are still a part of my life and they still come to my house. But even just recently, I had to tell a guy to get out of my house, you know, um, someone that I really care about and that I hope sometime will call me and we'll talk, you know, but I am not going to ease attention to make it, you know, go away 
because I have standards, you know, I have standards of respect in my house. And these are just things that we, that are always going to be a part of who I am and what I think lacks in kids clubs. I go to kids clubs all across the country to speak and share it either with the staff, or with the kids. And it's almost always a circus and that's not helping anybody. But I do believe that did they see something in me? I would assume so. I would assume that that's what happened, but I attribute it to God more than man, that God was positioning me in, in a place of light, in a place of where, where he could get his people to me. And it was through God's grace, God's providence, God's goodness, I came to know him first, and then people. And so I think the people were meaningful, but God did the work. God's the one that did this in my life. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's a good point, really, when you take this whole discussion. We people are a mess most of the time. Yeah. It's not like we do things right. So we could lay all this stuff out perfectly, and it's just, yeah, it's kind of our best guess. So yeah. without God, you know, making use of us as people, I can see exactly what you're saying. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, that that is an interesting perspective. Um, I, yeah, I'm still planning to keep kicking kids out. I, it's part of mm-hmm. respect to me. Like, you respect what we expect here. I'm happy to have you here. And I always try to make sure all the kids know that I care about them as a person, which, you know, that takes some work sometimes culturally. But that is something I try to get with first before – I get too aggressive on pushing their behaviors. So, Keyshawn, talk a little bit about, you talked about some of the positives in Kids Club. Talk a little bit about what you see as negative and probably partly in the way we do it. Um, We talked about how it's God uses whatever we do, but what are some things we should be thinking about um, in things not to do, things that actually distracted you from the love of Jesus? Yeah, so there's a few things I think of. Um, one of them, I just spoke at a, hmm, it was in, it was in some weird town in Pennsylvania, um, which is often where I get asked to speak. But I was sharing with a group that is considering, currently does do a kids club, but not the whole group. It's like a combination of three very different Anabaptist groups. One is horse and buggy. So there were horse and buggies there. One is Weaverland and one was uh, Mid-Atlantic or something like that. It was very strange. Um, good people. I'm not, I don't call them strange. I'm just saying it was strange to see that kind of combination of people there. Um, <laughs> some people were riding there on bikes cause they can't ride cars. And I'm like, right. there's a whole lawn full of bikes here anyway. <clears throat> and then I get up there and I'm like talking about the city and everything. But one of the things that I shared that really struck them and really, you know, resonated with them is that a lot of times the biggest failure and this is, I think, the biggest failure in all of our lives was not having Jesus as the king of the narrative. And so these Old Testament stories are powerful, but they, to be honest, now that we are where we are, don't mean a whole lot without without the end, without knowing what what Jesus brought for us. Because David can't save us. We can't access salvation the same way that David was finding faith. And so if we don't understand Jesus, we don't understand faith. We don't, we don't find salvation. And so it was very, very rare that Jesus, besides the songs, besides the maybe little cute little stories would actually be hammered home as the King. And the crazy thing is, is that he is the King. Okay. And so to not give the King credit is almost like, it almost seems like sabotage. If you, if you would evaluate it in a court system, you'd say you laymen are trying to usurp the King. Now, is that what people are trying to do? No, that's not what they're trying to do. 
But when you evaluate it from that perspective, it really, really fell short of showing me who the king was. And once I was shown the king, within a year I was baptized, right? Someone had to sit down with me, bring them into their home, feed me um, strange muffins and mint tea, um, and then talk to me about Jesus before I ever really had a chance to to claim or, or hear about the good news of the gospel, right? Um, so that was one issue, is that it took way too long for me to hear who my king was, you know, who had died for me, who wanted my heart. Second issue that I think of is a lack of continuity. This is one that people usually hammer on. I want to be clear that, and Daniel Pollard, who's a friend of mine, has really, really helped me to understand that there can be value in in short-term missions, in short-term ministry. I just think it's always, almost always done wrong. But I think there's it, it can be done well. Um, I, I have to say that if we weren't the way we were in going and helping and build buildings in these cities and service projects, some of these things wouldn't get done. And so I'm not, I'm not minimizing people who spend their time um, helping and ministering to others. However, when someone is doing long-term ministry in a way that doesn't lead to follow-up, it is not just an efficient use of time. It's almost like a, um, <laughs> it's almost like you're teasing the person that you're trying to help, you know? And again, I don't believe this is always done intentionally, but that lack of follow-up became really, really difficult for me um, to, to start caring about these people, to start wanting to be around them more. And short of me staying afterwards for those prayer times, not having access to them, either they're not around or they're in their busy lives because they blah, 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 you know? <clears throat> so looking so, back, I want to jump ahead. you in right here. Looking back a little bit, uh, what would you seen the objective of Kids Club as being? As in what's ideal or what they were doing? What, no, what they were doing. What was their objective? So to to be honest, and I, and I don't say this in a, again, I know some of these people personally today. They're about 10, 15 years, 10, 15 years older than me, but I know them today. Unfortunately, primarily, uh, it was a selfish desire. And again, I don't think this is unique to kids clubs. I think most missions are this way. I think most people go to the mission field with a unrecognized, untapped selfishness that they don't realize that if you weren't actually loving people here in your home or in your church or in your area, going to Zimbabwe, going to Nigeria to love people is going to be really tough for you. Okay. And and if you go there and you come back and you're like, oh, it's so great. It's the best thing I ever did. I'm suspicious that what you did there was very, very exciting for you. And then it wasn't actually getting to the heart of spreading Jesus to people. Now, again, Overseas ministry is not my focus here, but I have seen it happen for people who cross the river into York. And in that experience, what I saw and experienced were people who were good people, but the best thing about Kids Club was the party, was the excitement, were the numbers. I'd stay there afterwards for prayer, and they'd come in and they'd, and they'd talk about, you know, we had a lot of kids tonight, or we had this many, we didn't have that many kids tonight. And the, the thing is, when I started teaching, the fewer kids I had, the better, Amen. right? Because Amen. I could get one-on-one -on -one with those kids and, and get a lot more personal, and it meant so much more. That's but right. that, that mindset came through the way I was raised. It came through seeing their systems fail and knowing what I would do if I ever got in that seat. 
And the important thing is I was put in that seat so I could actually go do it. And it's what launched my, um, my, my years of being able to invest back in my community. So uh, unfortunately, I think for a lot of people, it was a very selfish and self-serving and that can be, that can be a lot of different things. Now there were people who were not that way. There are some people who are really, really good at what they did and they would come into to York um, several times a month just to hang out with their, with their kids. They would pursue them. They stay in touch today. Even um, they'll see them that's on the cool. street. Some of them moved into York. Um, I, I think that's high level kids clubbery, whatever you want to call it. That sounds bad. <laughs> anyway, um, it's high level kids, cl- kids clubbery, you know, um, Moving, moving in the area, continuing relationships. Um, how can you call someone? Well, you can, and we, we're not in that episode, but you you can be very self-serving and do all of these things. Uh, it can be very performative, very selfish. But I, I have seen a lot of people who have who have very very um, sacrificially moved into areas to love people. But that hit and run twice a month, four times a month kind of thing typically lends to the other. Typically lends to. Um, and that's not to say they don't sometimes get tired of coming out. They don't want to come out. They they don't, you know, that happens. But a lot of times the thrill that they get from it is feeling like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. And that's not necessarily wrong. But if that's your number one vision and, and purpose, that's wrong. That's not correct. So, so the objective, and you call it selfish, which is fine, but kind of the objective is for them to check a box for themselves and give yeah. Um, give themselves a certain feeling. And yeah, I can relate to that too. Um, I'm sure I had that feeling some kids clubs that I was at or let out at. Um, I, so you what, know, I, having you talk about it that clearly is nice. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't make it wrong. And I find it interesting. This is probably a distraction, but I find it interesting that you were able to sit afterwards and then see how the teachers talked. Because yeah. I think teachers talking afterwards is, is a lot more real life than the yeah. teachers talking during the thing, which is a little discouraging to me. I do it too sometimes, mm-hmm. but I try really hard to have the same attitude throughout. Yeah. And it's interesting. I was a teacher for five years, as you know, and I think one of the reasons I had such a great relationship with my students is I didn't talk about them any differently or to them any differently or about, the, yeah, I didn't speak of them or to them in any different way um, than if I was after school in a staff room. I was very real and authentic with them. When they were getting on my nerves, they knew. And they, <laughs> when I was happy about them, I let them know. And when I was indifferent, they heard, they knew that too, right? Um, right? When it was just one of those days. And, and I think that comes from, again, being on the other end. We've all had teachers, but I had teachers in the kind of school that they're in, you know? And so... That, that again, that perspective is, again, I think God just forming a, a beautiful story and a beautiful path for me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And a third, I already mentioned that they were elusive. Um, the, the last thing is more of an issue on my end. Um, and one that personally I would like, I would like to have not had, but I completely validate and understanding people who do, who are young. And it's kind of like the, who are you mindset? Like, who are you to come in my neighborhood and tell me what to do and bring bad snacks and take up all this space, right? Who, who do you think you are? And any mission organization, any church, any group of people that really, really care about respecting culture and doing well where they're going will give space for this feeling. They won't take it personal. They won't internalize it and make it a victim mindset. They will understand that there's validity to that question. 
Like you, why are you spending so much time in my home area to reach people like me? You start to feel kind of dirty, like, you know, or we're the poor kids, we're the whatever. And just, just using, just so quickly, people can get offended and hurt um, from the language you use, from the way you talk about people. People come in the city and talk about, oh, it's so dirty around here and all these people smoking cigarettes. And it's like, I can take that criticism from my, from my brother, from my cousin, from the person who lives down the street from me, but it's very difficult to take it from you who lives in Lebanon County and um, dairy farms for a living. There's nothing wrong with the way you live your life, but don't claim to understand and come with criticism for mine, especially when I'm a kid and I can't help where I grew up. Right. And so people are just in general are way more open to criticism and conflict from their own people than from visitors. Everybody understands that. Everybody knows that. As someone who has become Anabaptist, I can tell you, people listen to me more when they know I'm Anabaptist than otherwise. Okay? When they don't, it's it's like, okay, buddy, you know, whatever. <laughs> then they find out who I am, and they're like, oh, wow, will you come speak at our church? And I'm not saying that at all, but, you know, to brag, but I'm just saying it happens. We're more open to advice and criticism and input and preaching from people who understand us and who are from our area. The thing about cities, though, just to add here in the end here, is that the thing about cities is you're just as welcome to move into a city and become a part of city as anybody else. On on either side of me, I have a Hispanic neighbor and I have a white neighbor. The white neighbor is from Red Lion, right? She didn't grow up in this city. Um, And the Hispanic neighbor is from um, emigrated here about five years ago. Okay, neither of them understand York like I understand York. Right. But they're they're no less a part of York than I am. Right. And so if you're Anabaptist or if you if you grew up in a farm or wherever you grew up, you 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 are welcome to move into a city and become a part of the city. Um, it's not a black, Hispanic or white thing. It's about where you are, how you respect people, how long you've invested in, in a place it matters way more than how you grew up. That's just how cities are. People don't stay in one city very long. Um, I, I'm in a class right now for for training for a job. And um, I'm the only one from New York City in that job of 14 people, and we're going to be working in New York City. And so it, it's it's okay to be where you're from, but the way you go into a space really matters. And I, I think that people came into York in a very poor way most of the time. Yeah, and, and we s- don't – seen that in other places as well. We don't um, – unless Anabaptists that came from the farms, I speak as one, um, I – you know, we don't necessarily understand that perspective. Now, I've lived here. I've only lived here like three years or so in this house, four years. Um, but a lot of my neighbors have moved in and out by now. So hmm. I'm, I've am i been around as long as a bunch of them. So that is an interesting thing for me. I didn't necessarily expect that when I moved in. But then there's the good old people that have lived here for their whole lives. And, yeah, I enjoy talking to them because they have the stories anyway. Um, but yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. And one of the things I keep hearing as you talk is the idea of somebody living in the city is a big deal. And that's one thing I appreciate about our church is the vast majority of our church lives in the city and sees the value of that. And so that, I think that's hugely significant. I live right where they do. I live in stinky Newberry, you know, mm. um, that's just where it is. And the water tastes bad at my house, just like theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't necessarily enjoy that water. I don't necessarily enjoy the stink, but you know what? That's not why I'm here anyway. To close out the episode today, I want to make you aware of an event that we mentioned in our first episode, but is closer now. 
um, April 14 to 16, Urban Workers Retreat will be taking place. Daniel Pollard and many other speakers will be sharing about different methods and stories of discipleship. We talked about kids clubs in this episode. If you're looking for alternatives, you're looking for different ways things are done in cities, that is the place to go. You can register at urbanworkersretreat.com, urbanworkersretreat.com. We'll see you in two weeks.